0: In fandom's flame and nerdy light, let our passions now take flight. Embracing life with all our might, we are geeks and we're all right. Hello, everybody. This is your host, Justin Hunt, Green Lantern of Sector 2814, Highland Division, and you're listening to the Kilted Lantern Podcast. Today's episode is uh, an interesting little piece uh, with uh, guest Ori Kimbler, uh, who has returned again after the uh, Halloween special episode, and we discussed the uh, subject of toxic fandom. Basically, we're trying to determine: Are you the gatekeeper, and how to avoid becoming one? Now, in addition to that, we'll be having our usual segments um, and we're just going to jump right into that now the kilt tip for uh, today um, deals with how to go about sizing kilts you see I've known a lot of people that get into uh, wearing kilts and uh, there's a lot of ways to do that inexpensively but in order to wear a kilt properly you have to know what kind of kilt it is it's kind of weird in that context just giving you a little bit of an overview the ones that I'm going to cover in this little segment are the filabig, filimor, the traditional kilt, the uh, modern kilt, and, well, pants. I'm going to, you know, make a reference to that a lot in this. I see, pants, um, if you're a man, yeah, they are sized by simple waist measurement and inseam measurement. Well, it's actually true with all of the other forms of kilt that are out there as well. Um, For ladies, I'm not sure how your sizing works. It is a complete mystery, and from shopping with my wife, I think it's a complete mystery to her as well. This size 20 is not the same as that size 20, it's not the the same size as this 18, and it's just, I don't know. But for kilts, it's all about measurement. Man or woman, it doesn't matter which one you're wearing. It's about measurement. You see, the two measurements that every kilt uh, seller requires are waist and length. Now, that's pretty straightforward. Um, If you're having one custom made, you'll often have to include your hip measurements as well. Um, I had one that I actually had to have taken out through the hip because apparently I have more hips than I thought I did. I don't know. Whatever, either way, I had to have some modifications done to it because the waist measurement and the hip measurement were different and the kilt was actually made almost like a straight down tube as opposed to flaring a little bit at the hips. And, well, it didn't fit properly and it had to be adjusted. So if you're having one custom-made, specifically, you're going to have to deal with that. Most of the -the off-the-rack kilt uh, manufacturers um allow for that little bit of difference when they're doing the sizing and they'll ask for you know waist measurement only because the standard drop on well standard length for most kilts that you find just off the rack is 24 inch which is fine for most people i can wear a 24 inch but a 27 is better for me but we're going to get into that just a little bit you see with kilts you have to measure your waist now this is not the same measurement as your pants waist pants tend to stop at highest right along the bottom edge of your navel. Kilts, for the most part, that's not necessarily the case. See, with the phile big, which is the direct descendant of the phile mor, those measurements are way different. You see, the phile mor is known more properly as the great kilt. The phile big is the direct, ancestor, I mean, the direct uh, descendant of it, in the sense that when the Industrial Revolution happened in the Highlands, they had to start cutting the top part of their great kilt off as a separate garment because, well, machinery and the top half of great kilts don't get along well. That's why I don't ever wear one to work. Now, those are measured simply by guesswork. Um, Traditionally, they are nine yards of material uh, cut in half, Down the length while cut in half. Well, you're cutting it vertically on the horizontal, so basically, you're taking your uh, nine yards and cutting it to four and a half yards, and then you're sewing down the long sides to get them put back together. That's how you make a great kilt. Um, And then you just pleat the middle section, you pull your front aprons around, you put a belt around you. That's your thing right there. And it's double width, so you would just pull it down to where you want or up to where you want. Typically, though, you want to keep your belt's line um, either right at or a little bit above your navel because your natural waist is what helps hold it in position. The same is true with the philip beagle. You just skip the second step of sewing it together. You just basically are working with like four and a half yards. And then later on uh, in the 1800s, they started just taking that nine yards Not cutting it at all. And just pleating it a lot. That's how you get the modern pleat design. And then you just put a belt around that. And there you have it. But those measurements. Like I said. That's just based solely off of what you're comfortable wearing. And how much material you want to have around your waist. Um, So long as you have at least a few pleats in the back. It still looks like a kilt. Now. Otherwise you're just basically wearing a tartan towel around your waist. Now. Now. With the traditional kilts, which is what I'm focusing on primarily because that's what I personally wear, its measurement system is going to be different than what you'd have for your pants. Your inseam matters nothing, um, on, from you know, your pants inseam matters nothing because there is no inseam on a kilt. And your waist measurement is different because like I said, pants tend to stop just below the navel or right on. I wear mine higher, but that's because years of reenactor. I got used to high-waisted pants. But anyway, in the case of kilts, you'll actually want to measure about two inches above your navel. That is your actual kilt waist. Because a proper kilt uh, wearing height for a traditional style kilt, it, it will extend two inches above your navel. That's referred to as the rise. Now with a kilt. The other measurement you're going to have to watch for is the fall. Now the fall is from the navel down. So you have a 2 inch rise and then say 24 inch fall, that's a total length of 26 inches. Which is the measurement you're going to have to give wherever you're buying the kilt if they ask for a length measurement. Um, Like I said, I like a 27. I like that extra little bit. It puts it right about the middle of my knee versus right above the knee. Um, and if I'm wearing a size uh, 24 length kilt I actually wear it at the navel so you're not actually wrong for doing it just to want to be clear you're going to wear it however you want to wear it so long as the pleats are in the back you'll look pretty alright and that's the measurement system you got to work with and then there's also the military rise by the way which is another form of traditional kilt in the military they actually have a 4 inch rise it's where it goes 4 inches above the belly button 4 inches above your navel that is Um, is to allow for there being no gap of shirt between the uh, waistcoat or the vest or the doublet style jackets and the top of the kilt. You don't want your shirt showing there, so that's what the four-inch rise does. Um, I actually have a Ferguson uh, weathered tartan kilt that has the four-inch rise. I bought it that way intentionally for that very reason. I'm kind of weird like that, And, and it's indeed a weird thing. Now, along with uh, traditional kilts and your ancient kilts, which are your historical style kilts that I mentioned before, the filibig and filimor, in addition with that, you have the modern kilts. Now, modern kilts are a completely different animal. Um, There's several forms out there. Most of them actually ride right where you wear your pants. Um, Sport kilts. For example, great brand by the way, the people that work there, top-notch customer service. And the product is really lightweight though. It's designed for active wear, um, for you know Highland sporting events. Um, I actually only own one sport kilt, it's not really my thing per se because of how lightweight it is. But I'm telling you. I use it as a wraparound for swim trunks on the rare occasion I actually go swimming because the material is so lightweight that the water just evaporates right out of it. So like, you know, I get out of the pool or whatever, I can put that on and I can, you know, sit on a, you know, chair or something and not burn my bum a little bit, you know, it's actually a little bit of layer. And it looks nice because I'm a Kilty as opposed to a pants wear. Um. Like I said, that rides right at your navel. You can get it with the Rises, though. You can order it that way. You just have to pay for the custom length option to allot for that extra couple inches you're going to need. They actually sell theirs at a uh, standard length of 23 inches. So it's intended for at the navel. It it eliminates the rise altogether. And then you have the other version, um, another variety referred to as a hipster kilt. actually rides right at the hips. For those guys that like wearing your uh, pants on the low side, it's a kilt designed to be worn that way. I'm not sure what the standard length is on them. Um, You usually have to have them custom-made, so you would have to take special measurements anyhow. But those are referred to as hipster kilts, and then we have the most common variety, um, sometimes referred to as Mug's M-U-G, which stands for Male unbifurcated garment. I don't know who came up with that acronym, but that's what it means. Um, you see, those are more in the form of utility kilts. Um, utility kilt is actually the most common brand for it. Um, there's also Ripstop, Stump Town. There's a bunch of makers out there that make these modern utility kilt style kilts and basically it's like the cargo pants of the kilting world they're made out of a heavier material sometimes denim sometimes the heavy cotton twill like you'd get well cargo pants in and they have pockets um there's uh no spawn they ride at the navel as well so right there's where you're going to take the measurement for those and the length is of course a matter of where you're comfortable but they usually ride um, at the middle to below the knee and a lot of people um, because that's where a lot of men like wearing, say, shorts, and these are an option for that. Uh, in fact, if you're just kind of glancing, you might even think that they are just, you know, loose-fitting shorts on a guy because of the way the pleats are done in the back. They're uh, wider block box pleats as opposed to the, either the narrow box pleat or the knife pleats that you get on your traditional kilts. And of course, you can get those in tartan materials. You can get them in. Uh, Solid colors, camouflage is actually a really popular one right now. Um, I'm not a utility kilt wearer, I just I just don't. Um, I don't I'm don't. i not speaking to anybody who does, I'm just saying I don't. It's not my thing. But if you are going to get those, um, you have to watch, again, the waist and the length. And the waist on those kilts, you measure at the navel, because there's no rise on them. They're worn more in line with uh, modern pants, or shorts. Um, and you are going to want to make sure that you do a lot for the fact that they have a flat uh, front apron with snaps on it though so as you're measuring it you want to make sure that you're giving yourself a little bit of wiggle room and you may have to wear a kilt belt with it um, well, you can wear a modern belt regular belt with it if you wanted to but a kilt belt looks nice because kilts look best with wider belts and unfortunately men's belts don't usually get sold in that si- wide size anymore but you, you know, you do you you're going to wear what you want to wear, and that's cool. But I wanted to point out the differences in sizing. So, in your historical kilts, X number of yards of fabric, at least four and a half yards. You pleat it because in the modern fabrics, they're double width, so you don't have to do that second step of cutting it and then sewing it unless you're very tall like I am. Um, at least four and a half yards, pleat it up, wrap it around, belt it, you're golden. Um, with your traditional kilts, measure two inches above your navel, and then a lot for a length from the top of that area, from that two inches above the navel, down to where you want it to hang, which on average is about 24 inches. If you're taller, add, if you're shorter, subtract. Um, your military rise kilts, um, four inches above your navel, then down. To the length you want it, again, taller add, shorter subtract, 24, uh, in that case with a military rise kilt, the average is actually 26 length, but most military style kilts are actually custom made, so that's not really a big concern there, in which case you'll also, oh, I have to include your uh, hip measurement, um, my USA kilt, uh, semi-traditional kilt, that one was a custom made. I had to provide hip measurements for it. Um, and then we have your modern kilts that ride either at the hips, which for the hipsters. Um, you'll take, those are, those are usually custom made, but you have the measurement you're going to want is actually around where it's going to ride at the top and then down to where you want it to fall. Again, those usually fall down below the knee, like right at the bottom of the knee. And then you have your sport kilt that rides right at the navel, maybe a little bit below depending on your preferences. And you measure there, right along the bottom of your navel, down to the length you want it. There you have it. You don't usually have to provide your hip measurement with that one um, unless you're having a complete custom made. And to be honest, they have uh, Velcro and um, elastic in the back. So you got a little bit of flexibility in terms of your sizing, which is nice, especially on holidays when you're going to be eating a lot. And then you have your modern utility kilts, your mugs, your male unbifurcated garments. Um, those ride where you uh, would expect them to, right below the navel at your pants waist. And then you measure down to where you want it. They usually go right at the bottom of the knee as well, um, though mid-knee is also a really popular length on that. And to my knowledge, you don't have to provide your hip measurement on those because of the way they're styled, That's not really required. So there's your uh, sizing differences between the different styles of kilt as opposed to pants. Now moving on to our cosplay segment. Um, the cosplay segment is actually um, about details in your costume. Now see, I'm a very detail-oriented person. Um, when I'm looking at a costume that I'm creating, I get in with lots of details, especially small details. That's what I really enjoy. And that comes from years of reenactment. Now reenactment and cosplay are and aren't the same thing. Reenactment, you're trying to recreate historical garments and scenarios. Cosplay you're trying to create, recreate fictitious or even create something unique and original. Uh, type characters. Now, with cosplay you have to allot for stage performance rules. Uh, now, what are stage performance rules? Stage performance rules means it has to be noticeable at a distance, otherwise it may as well not exist. That's why so many plays done based on mi- events in the Middle Ages use sweatpants instead of chausses and brays underneath the tunics, because you'll never know the difference at a distance. And that's fine. I'm not knocking on any of that because it's not reenactment, it's not the same thing. The small details really do not make a difference in that context. See, with cosplay, I personally still include the small details because the small details really help it advance. Especially if you're going to be in character. But when you're going for judgings and uh, competitions and you just want to be noticeable at a distance anything you put on your costume you have to have the detail level such that it can be noticed at a distance basically if you can't stand 25 feet away from somebody and see what they have on and recognize what it is then you may not necessarily have your costume they may not have their costume set up in a fashion that you can identify the features now Realism versus uh, noticeability is a big problem because, you know, you don't want the giant padded Mario gloves on just so people can tell that you're wearing Mario-style gloves and it may not even be necessary in various contexts. What I recommend doing when trying to make your details stand out is making sure you allot for a significant amount of contrast between your colors. so if, let's say, for example, you are putting together a Nighthawk costume. Now, Nighthawk, for those who don't know, is a Hawkman from the 1800s. He was basically just a cowboy-looking character, but he had a big white hawk on his chest. You want to keep that hawk fairly simple-styled on the front of your costume. Why? Because at a distance, you want to be able to tell what it is. And if you have all these other little details in there, you're not really going to notice what it is, and it's not going to stand out. Now, you can, again, do this because, you know, cosplay is for you primarily, and you need to do what you enjoy. And if you enjoy little details, do little details. But you want to make sure that if you're going for competition, at least, you're getting close to a specific mark with your design of a pre-existing character, or at least making your details noticeable enough where the judges are going to see them at a distance um so that may involve actually simplifying your design sometimes um i remember when i was putting together um a green lantern costume i my original design i had lots of details i actually had almost microscopic level detail as pertained to things but i simplified it because i realized that nobody was going to notice that unless they were right on top of me and i don't really i have a personal space bubble even at conventions Um, Admittedly, my personal space bubble is very small, but if you're close enough to see some of the details that I had originally included in this costume, yeah, because the trim itself was actually made up out of a series of lines and circles that made the Green Lantern symbol and a connecting line. And the, the result would have been you having to be within, like, one foot of the outfit to actually see that detail. I started producing it too, but uh, I abandoned it when I realized, you know, anybody that sees this is going to be inside my personal space bubble and I don't want that. Um, So you have to balance out your details when you want your noticeability. And you also have to remember that you may include some details that people will never pick up on. My kilt that I wear with my kilted lantern is a Stuart hunting tartan kilt. Most people aren't going to recognize that. They'll recognize the tartan. They don't know what it's called, but they'll recognize it because it's a fairly popular tartan. And they most certainly won't automatically mentally make the connection to the fact that that's my little nod to Jon Stewart. Um, and in the case of my medieval Green Lantern, I've got details in that where I have the gloves off of Hal Jordan's costume. I have Guy Gardner's white leather and chain belt combination I have a surcoat designed based off of Jon Stewart's uh, traditional uniform, which is the one with the green triangle up top. Um, I have Alan Scott style um, purple and green cloak, though the purple is so dark that it actually looks black in the right lighting. Um, I have the Simon Baz arm tattoo actually painted onto the shaft of a mace in glowing green. And I have Jessica Cruz's eye symbol on my face, but that's under a helmet and no one ever sees it unless I take the helmet off. You see, those details are for me. I wanted to include all the lanterns. Well, that's for me. So I wasn't expecting people to pick up on all of those. And indeed, most people don't. However, If I were going to try to make that a big deal, I would have to change it up all together and come up with things that are way more noticeable. If I were going to do that, I'd have to start adding lights in different places and things like that that would draw attention to specific things. So when you're going to make your costumes, you have to, again, always know your goal, know what you're doing it for, and work accordingly. And as far as how to make your detail stand out, bigger is usually better. And try to keep it reasonably simple and accurate to your source. And, piece of personal advice don't try to use um, Liam Sharp or uh, Alex Ross as your source material because they're so detailed, you're never going to get all those in there in a noticeable fashion. Although Alex Ross's artwork is so detailed that you can actually see the folds on the costume, so you can even roughly guess what material is that they're made out of, and that's handy when you're a cosplayer. So it's just a thought for you. But now, with that, we're going to go ahead and move into our discussion time, and this is with again with Ori Kimbler, and we all know how energetic and fun she is, however. In this case, she just jumps straight into the subject, so there's very little intro on that, and you're going to want to be listening like literally as soon as the segment starts. So, with no further ado, let's move on to that discussion. All right. Uh, Well, I'm... Just want to congratulate you. Uh, Geeky Vengeance seems to be doing really well.
1: It is doing amazingly well. I'm so surprised. We're about to hit 1,500. um, Mm. And uh, I really thought that when we started it, it was literally going to be, you know, like 20 of my friends sharing memes back and forth.
0: (laughs) Well, that's a noble venture in and of itself
1: yeah but I mean, now we're at fifteen hundred We're really active um comparatively uh I've known groups that have taken almost two years to get the following that we have in, mm-hmm. in about what eight months, no, not even eight months like where I think we're at like six
0: <laughs> yeah give or take
1: yeah its it's insane, and uh we're already being invited as guests to conventions um uh we're gonna be starting a podcast uh we launch our website soon like it's, it's pretty insane how fast this is going uh but i have a great yeah, team you got,
0: you got yeah you got a really good team i just already say that because i mean if you got a good team you can do a you can accomplish a lot
1: yeah um well everybody i have on my team kind of like fits into roles so um don cooper who uh is like my bff my my brother from another mother He, uh, he's really good at, you know, taking photos, but he really shines at Photoshop. Um, so most of our custom content is either me or him and we just spitball back and forth. Um, so, uh, and then we have like Adam Atmore. We're going to be launching, um, uh, hopefully soon he is getting everything together now and we're setting everything up. We're going to be, uh, doing some live play of alien RPG um i've got kate Conegris who is super smart and funny she does a lot of deep dives she likes to really get into like the you know the meat and bones of something going on right now she's doing a deep dive into x files that's going to be one of the articles on our website um and something we share in our group it's it's pretty insane like how everybody kind of like started clicking in it's kind of like building a good lego house (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so i've got a pretty strong foundation
0: that's good it's good um well i'm I'm admin over on the geek page and they just recently made the decision to make it a uh more public group you still have to put in for membership you know just, let's just mainly to keep the spammers away instead of just having it random join but we used to actually have like a complete uh, process where we had to like interview people and everything else
1: that's that's pretty intense um especially the kind of group that we have right now uh It's geeks and uh, I kind of want everybody to come in and it's one of the reasons I haven't turned on moderate and approve every post that comes in so far Yeah, Um, because that's a lot of work, Um, especially for a place you're trying to come and like, you know, have a good time. And honestly, my group is a good time. It's surprising how many fights we avoid. but we still kind of have a few. But I mean, that's either here or yeah. there, not that Well, the... it's
0: Facebook, you know, it goes with the territory.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, uh, like in my group, uh, which is uh, Geeky Vengeance. I don't know if I'm, I'm going to say that enough. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we have uh, we all we have very few trolls, which is really interesting. Can Considering that it is a Facebook group, <laughs> mm-hmm. I get like maybe 5% of the flack that other large groups get. And I think it's mainly because I'm kind of a, I'll shut something down. I will completely shut it down and, you know, tell everybody to walk away, cool down. Uh, I'm not going to allow this kind of post for a few days. Let, you know, give everybody a little space to breathe. I, I think I did it right after Gina Carano. Um, that whole mm-hmm. thing blew up. I, I I, literally, I'm like, okay, guys, 24 hours. I'm like, you're all grounded. <laughs> and I hate doing that because it, it stifles the fun. But that's all we were getting um, were those kind of posts. And I'm like, guys, yeah. there's so much uh, that is happening in our geek world right now, even though we're kind of like all locked in together we don't need to be fighting about one person. I mean, uh, I think, uh, at the time, um, uh, it was right after, um, that, that, like, uh, One Division, like, all the stuff was happening. I'm like, there's so much awesome. Let's talk One Division, guys. Yes. Um, and, uh, uh and, it, it It was really interesting because it kind of smoothed itself over in our group really fast um which was surprising because I know a lot of other groups like it was it was chaos um I know my friend Rafe, who has Southern geek, he was like they were shutting posts down left and right, and I'm like, I'm not getting <laughs> this problem um from anybody so I don't understand why we're different and then um I started getting communication from a lot of our group members saying that this is one of the best groups on Facebook and I'm like why <laughs> we're we don't argue we don't have any of those like we don't have extreme trolling and I think it's because I've um Asked for a level of respect, and I give a level of respect back that has been um, absent in in some groups. Mm-hmm. Um, I try not to have a lord complex, <laughs> even though I am the evil overlord um, in a in a vengeance group. Uh, it, it's been really interesting on how respectful everybody is of everybody. And I don't know if it's because it's run by a, a woman who um constitutes herself as a Hufflepuff. <laughs> that might
0: have something to do with it.
1: <laughs> but like I want everybody to come in and like we're all sitting in warm blankets and like sipping hot cocoa and eating snacks and we're just having a good chat. And um but I, I really feel like uh it's been a great common room to come in and like kind of shrug off all of the other problems that are happening everywhere else, and we don't fight. <laughs> it's so yes. weird.
0: It is. It's, it is a good group, and I try to behave myself as a tea sipping Slytherin. I, I try to behave myself when I <laughs> uh, interact on there.
1: Well, you. Uh, uh, well, um, I mean, you and I met what Pensacon. 2019?
0: Yeah, called, I believe, yeah. I think it was either 2019 or 2018. I can't remember. When I was like, certain. you needed
1: Instagram, and we instantly became friends, and uh me and your wife are you know, um, I still adore her. But uh I think I still have pictures of you guys in your in your costumes somewhere. I have yeah. not have it uploaded to my Facebook, but I need to give those to you because I, I don't think I ever did. But anyway, um no, <laughs> but uh you know you were one of the first people I invited to the group, and I was like <laughs> I was like, I know some of these people are confrontational when they've got a really strong opinion about something, they're going to state it, but I don't know if it's been like that it's been stated in our group that I want everybody to get along or if it's people respect me or, or what's going on.
0: Well, I I think a lot of it has to do with the atmosphere that you establish when you first set up a group. If you set up a group and you just kind of let everybody post whatever they want, whenever they want zero moderation whatsoever Mm -hmm. one of two things can happen you can either end up with a group full of trolls but since you invited the right kind of people early on i'm not speaking for myself i think you made a (laughs) terrible mistake there Um, but you invited the right kind of people early on i
1: adore uh,
0: you i'm gonna say uh, that a million
1: times i adore you um but no uh, i think one of the things that um when i started this group i really wanted to to be a place where people could come and talk um and about any situation. Because we've had good conversations about the uh, the instance with Gina Carano. Um, we haven't had any... Uh, uh, when Lovecraft Country came out, and I'm like, okay, guys. Uh, I made a post about how um, Lovecraft was being, um, you know, kind of reconstituted and claimed by the Black community. Uh, I'm like, okay. I'm like, we can have a discussion about you know, Lovecraft as a a person and whatever. But the moment you guys start talking horrible to each other, I'm deleting your comments. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm like, we can have a great discussion about race and fandom and not be jerks to each other. And I, I think that, um, a lot of people have come to respect that. It's been really interesting to see some of the conversations that have happened, especially with Lovecraft Country. I love Lovecraft Country. It's one of my favorite, you know, uh, shows out there right now. And I was really surprised that we didn't have any trolling on those posts. And I was like, oh, wow, how, <laughs> how are you guys being so nice to each other? You make me so happy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, admittedly, I have yet to watch any of the Lovecraft Country, um, but that's primarily because I've been uh, binging uh, all things Marvel with my niece, whom I'm trying so diligently to nerdy up a little bit. Uh, She was the one in the uh, video I asked yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah, she said, and I, I kid you not, when she first moved in with us, we said, hey, you want to watch this movie with us? And she's like, no, I don't like superheroes. I'm like, well, give it a shot. No, I don't care about superheroes. I'll never care about superheroes. Well, by the end of WandaVision, she is sitting there crying.
1: (laughs) Well, okay. And and I think one thing that people need to understand, and if they really are not into the Marvel franchise, we're going to get into something super nerdy here right now. Um, And you're more into a good, really good storytelling and a good suspense builder one division is for you it is absolutely 100 a great story and mm-hmm. um i was moved so many times to tears just trying to understand her stages of grief and life and love and everything and i will sing praises of one division anybody ever tries to talk bad about it i'll i'll, I'll they can fight me in the comments, but nobody will well, fight me in the comments, which is great in my group. <laughs>
0: well, that's, that's a good show. It's a good show. There's not really any uh, grounds for argument there. Once the more casual viewers understood that the story's unfolding, it's not just a movie that's going to be over in two and a half hours. You know, it's going to build up and then pay off. I think people got more on board with it. Although personally, that very first episode that was done in the style of the Dick Van Dyke show, I was. Happy as could be because I love the Dick Van Dyke show. And they brought him on to uh, consult on that one. And you could tell because it was just like watching an old episode. They
1: put so much care into it. And I would, I sat there and every, you know, every episode I watched, it was immersive and it threw you back into those sitcoms and those shows that you grew up with as a kid and or not as a kid and you're just, you know, finding out about Bewitched and you're looking and you're going, oh, wow, this is great. I need more of this.
0: Well, admittedly, I was just watching Dick Van Dyke this morning when I was taking a break from uh, editing on a different episode. Um, but anyhow.
1: Well, <laughs> Sorry, we said it.
0: The- yeah, we need to reel in just a little bit here to the actual uh, subject matter, which we, <laughs> ironically, we're touching on it quite a bit as is. But mm-hmm. uh, looking at it from a broader perspective, the subject is uh, toxic fandom. Now, the reason why I wanted you as a potential host for this particular episode is because of the culture that exists within your group, um, as well as uh, while well, just knowing you any way shape or form on a personal level um you're a very outgoing kind of person you're a very uh fun loving kind of person and i'm just interested in hearing someone's perspective on the subject that can uh say they've had to deal with it before um so the question i have for you is first off what would you say constitutes a toxic fan
1: um Personally, I feel toxic fan is something that takes the joy out of something that you enjoy. They come in and, um, even if you have a differing opinion, um, or even the same opinion, sometimes they like to, um, go in and pick it apart while picking it apart is absolutely fine. Um, having a good basis for where you're coming from is okay but what toxic fans like to do is they like to go in and destroy the actors the sets um they go out of their way on um a personal level of uh say the actors or the the writers to um kind of salt the earth. Um, it, it's very prevalent in, say, the Star Wars fandom, where if you have a differing opinion, you will be torn asunder. They mm-hmm. will um, attack your character. They will call you an idiot for liking the things that you like. Uh, uh, um, like a lot of people don't like, uh, you know, the, the the one, two, and three, part one, and two, one two, and three of Star Wars. And they will go in and instead of, you know, having something to say about the movie itself and why they themselves don't like it, they will start attacking you. Um, I can't remember her name. She was a lovely woman uh, in one of the Star Wars uh, movies and they pretty much chased her out of her role. Um uh, she deleted her. I mean, this has happened with so many uh, people in the Star Wars um, movies that they literally chased her out of being a part of Star Wars. And, you know, now she doesn't want anything new with that character. It's, it's come around, but, you know, now she does. But those are what I consider toxic fans. They they take something to the int extreme and um, are kind of jerks. <laughs>
0: yeah um when i'm uh adminning in various groups that i admin for one of the things i look out for for toxic fans is um an instant tone of mockery as soon as you start notice that they're mocking something you have to start keeping an eye out um i remember one time there was a gentleman that uh, had a youtube channel he was in the geek page and um, he did a uh, video on sequels you didn't know existed. And while well, I watched the video and I gave my comments primarily that not only did I know about those well in advance, but I also owned many of them. Uh, and he did like a half a paragraph of just mocking me because of quote, quote, oh, well, so and so isn't amused and I'll just have to do this. And it's like. Yeah, that right there to me is a toxic attitude because it goes from a critique of whatever the subject is into personal attack.
1: Um so uh in in groups that I've moderated uh or even, you know, um I also moderate for um a lot of streamers and stuff sometimes. I'll, you know, um I have keywords that I look for. Um and Now in the great day of technology, um, the trolls and toxic fans, I can kind of pinpoint them out super fast. Um, So some of the keywords that I look for are idiot, um, fangirl, fanboy, um, uh, you know, stuff like that. And as soon as I I, I start seeing those things and, like, the bells start going off and I I start getting the notifications, I watch that person. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I watch them very closely because I don't want anybody stealing anybody's fun. Um, You can have a healthy discussion without attacking another person. And that's one of my core beliefs.
0: Now, one of the other aspects, or I should say facets, of uh, toxic fandom is gatekeeping. Um, That's something that uh, is ever so prevalent, and the more popular something becomes, the more and more gatekeeping occurs. Um, An example of this one, in in my case, I've seen it so many times, and it, it just bothers me beyond all compare, that when someone's an introductory level fan saying that they're not a real fan where people start trying to quantify what makes someone a true fan it is in my opinion, the very essence of gatekeeping and it's a very big setup for it. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, okay. So I'm going to come from this as a woman um, or, you know, someone who identifies as a woman. Um, it's really hard. <laughs> uh i'm a huge gamer um there are several games that i know a lot about and there are games that i don't know anything i don't know anything about call of duty i like call of duty i've played it one or two or three times um but they like to tell me i'm not a gamer and i'm like wait wait hold on i'm like i can tell you everything about minecraft 100 percent I am a Minecrafter, I can tell you how to make, you know, a lodestone and everything else, but you're going to tell me I'm not a gamer because I don't play the game that you do? Um, that's not how this works. I am not going to tell somebody who likes to play Candy Crush, and they don't like to play FPS games, that they're not a gamer. Um, because they are. It's just different from what I play. Um... I'm also a huge Doctor Who fan. I have seen everything. I can't remember why he went to the, uh, you know, Cardiff on episode eight. I can't, uh, I don't know everything about all of the actors or anything like that. I know the general Doctor Who stuff and I know my favorite villains does that make, uh, make me less of a Doctor Who fan? Absolutely not. And if I don't know something and I'm in the middle of a conversation, I'll be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And the moment somebody tries to say, well, you're not a fan, I'll be like, well, um, you're not a nice person. Thanks. Okay, bye.
0: <laughs> now, see, the one of the things I enjoy about being a uh, Tolkienite um, is, is the fact that there are indeed levels of that fandom, but nobody typically says, well, you're not a fan. There's Ringers, which is strictly Lord of the Rings, um and that can be divided into movies only, books only, movies and books. And everybody gets pretty well equal respect on that one. um And then there's Tolkienite, which is where you start diving into p- Tolkien's personal life, his academic papers, his translations. That's where I reside because, well, I'm me. But anyway, <laughs> but I would never begin to tell somebody who, you know, they are still on the introductory level and just are content to be there that they're not a fan. However, the thing that bugs me the most is when people start talking about the Hobbit movies, I make no qualms in stating that I do not like those movies. However, that does not mean that nobody's allowed to like those
1: movies. I hold on. I absolutely love the Hobbit because my boy Ori is, is the best and he should have got more screen time that's all i'm saying that's
0: all i'm saying <laughs> well you know i'm a firm believer that the uh 1970s Rankin Bass uh hobbit is infinitely better than all three of the peter jackson hobbit movies but that's my personal <laughs> belief and if you don't agree with me cool it doesn't affect my uh views and i'm not going to expect my view to affect yours you know
1: well, yeah, and, and and that's where like I think we can have a good conversation a- and at what makes us um, uh, 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 we've got to come up with a word for like not toxic fan because I think I filled my group with untoxic people and it's been fantastic uh, I'm gonna have to coin a phrase we're gonna let's make something up let's let's um it's not healthy fan because you know uh that
0: how about balanced because the opposite of toxic is balanced
1: but it's got to sound cool because we have to sound cooler than toxic fan because toxic fan just we're talking about
0: a bunch of nerds here so <laughs> i don't know if cool is really a thing
1: <laughs> hold on absolutely cool we cannot gatekeep cool that's all i'm saying
0: <laughs> but I, yeah, I, i'm just typically associated with nerds and geeks <laughs> I know. you know it's kind of
1: um and, and i i think that's one thing that we kind of um we we honestly do a lot better is we do accept each other for the most part um until we don't agree on something <laughs> but we as a community as a, a a community of outcasts we've kind of i don't know for outcasts anymore because now we're mainstream and we're the cool kids um but as people who like outcast things uh i guess is the best way to put it
0: A counterculture in and of itself. Yeah,
1: we're counterculture. We're mainstream counterculture. It's like, uh, it's the weirdest thing now. Um,
0: Yes, it it makes it complicated because now you have people that actually want to gatekeep over the concept of being geeks in general.
1: Well, and that's one thing that my, uh, as an admin, I have to deal with. I am a geek about everything. I will geek out about food, about a good pen, about some stuffies I found, um, you know, an artist. I and um, I think that's why people have become really comfortable with how my adminning style is I will let you geek out about everything. I had a girl message me the other day and she's like, I'm really afraid. I really, uh, I just bought this cookbook and it's about feeding your rating party. I want to talk about it, but it's food. And I'm like, you can talk about it. You're geeking out about food. Put the cookbook aside, Um, food itself is a science. Geeks are scientists. (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
0: I'm gonna have to say that uh, food is almost more of an art than a science, but okay uh,
1: it, it's a little bit of both, uh, especially if you're baking it's science. you better you, mm. you need to get those measurements right or you know it's gonna not rise, it's not gonna cook well whereas um you know making a steak is definitely an art form uh, but I mean even then art is fandom if without artists we would not have the wonderful things that we have in comic books and anime in in movies now because so much is cgi and gatekeeping what a geek is is totally unfair to all of us because together we really do have a community uh, of geekdom we're geeks Let's be proud to be geeks. Accept all the geeks. Be happy with the geeks.
0: (laughs) In fandom's flame and nerdy light, let our passions now take flight. Embracing life with all our might, we are geeks and we're all right.
1: Yes! Ah, it makes me...
0: The Kilted Lantern Oath.
1: (laughs) And it's so funny. Your Kilted Lantern Oath is, you know, it's so, like, inspiring. And my group is vengeance is mine. Geeky vengeance is for all of us. <laughs> well, I'm more like a red lantern. Honestly, it's that's
0: great. Yeah. Well, just be careful when the blood starts coming out of your mouth, if you're not actually wearing a red ring, you might want to go to the hospital.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I mean, it's, one thing about gatekeeping and toxic fans is um, I think we've, we've definitely come a long way in, in fandom in general of pointing out and saying no toxic fan, no toxicking. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. and um, I know in other groups, it's more difficult to handle. Um in geeky vengeance, we don't have that problem. Um, I, 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 I comment on a lot of other groups. Um, I'm great friends with many of them. Uh, I make sure that, you know, uh, our group members are not going and, uh, content mining other groups because I mean, that's, that's kind of mean. Um,
0: yeah, I, I try to play the uh, meme Robin Hood, you know, where I kind of take a little <laughs> bit from here, a little bit from there, and then I redistribute. Yes. I don't really have time to create a whole lot of content, so I just try to share what great stuff there is. Well,
1: uh, and um, and, that, and that's another aspect of toxic fandom. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that right now. People who go and content mine, um, say small groups like ours or um uh let's say southern geek because they're still kind of small um and there's a few other like cosplay groups and stuff people go and just like take a whole bunch of stuff and take it to their group and post it again i'm like guys your moderators and your admins have worked very hard in the field (laughs) to give you content to enjoy enjoy in that group and if you're gonna steal it just be like at least leave a like (laughs)
0: Yes. Well, it it's great when you have a group that you can feel comfortable with. Um, I mean, I didn't even really get into any of the Facebooking and stuff like that until oh, it had been a little ways before I got into it, really into it. And before you know it, um, over in the Geek page, heck, I spent the night at the one guy's house um before a Pentagon. he lives in Alabama and he wanted me to come over a couple nights early just to hang out. You know,
1: well, I, I, that's one thing. Um, when you get past the toxic fandom, there's a family underneath, like, um, everybody, uh, all of my admins, um, uh, my moderators, um, even friends from other groups, like friends I've made elsewhere. It's a family. Um, and as long as we can bypass being toxic to each other, that family grows and it bonds and um, you work together and, and you, you build a respect and a decorum. And as long as you, you're not jerks, <laughs> it's a wonderful thing.
0: Well, I see. Now, here's where it starts getting interesting on the subject um, it, it is about not being a jerk. Um, However, as you stated, uh, people are passionate about things. It's kind of the very essence of being a geek. Um, you know, Geeking out is brought upon by being passionate about a subject. Um, so I guess the question here would be, how would you recommend to moderate your own passions enough to where you're not feeling uh, attacked if someone dislikes what you're talking um, about?
1: So I have a book um, on verbal communication. Um, and it's something that, uh, I'll, I'll send you a, um, it's called, uh, a, a verbal communication and how to, uh, be a better communicator. Um, and there's a list of words in there that it tells you to avoid. Um, so there are words that are definitely meant to attack. Um, You know, calling someone an idiot, uh, attacking them personally, um, uh, bringing in something that doesn't belong in a situation. Um, So say we are talking about Star Wars. I happen to really like Jar Jar Binks. (laughs) I love Jar Jar Binks. I will sing the praises of Jar Jar Binks. And I know, uh, you have seen in the group where people will post memes of Jar Jar's head on a, on a silver platter and it'll be like, oh, come on, why you gotta be like that? And then it'll go on where, you know, like, um, uh, I have, uh, one of the, the guys, he <laughs> does it every time something Star Wars comes up, um, like we have the swole Jar Jar meme, um, And, Mm -hmm. uh, under it, I'm like, yeah, that's my future boyfriend. And, uh, uh, and then someone under that says, well, you must have low standards. And instead of being, instead of engaging him like that and, or insulting him to somehow make Jar Jar better than him. I personally, and I know a lot of the other group members do this, like we keep it on subject, um, Mm -hmm. we will kind of curtail the fact that you're being a jerk and go for, well, at least Jar Jar has a sense of humor and that's why he would make a great boyfriend or, or something like that. As long as you keep humor in it, people don't automatically go to being toxic.
0: Yeah. Um, my personal position in a uh, Middle Earth group right now, it, it, it kind of shook some people up a little bit. There was a post about uh, not including Tom Bombadil in the movies, and I said that I was mm-hmm. actually kind of glad. That, w- that Those are fighting words in most <laughs> Lord of the Rings groups, because the love of characters that are not in the movies is kind of like a rite of passage for a lot of people. I don't consider it one. Um. I mean, my favorite character is Gil Gallad, and he's in the movie for, like, hmm, three seconds before you see his banner fall, and that's about it. Um, But anyhow, um, I made the statement that I didn't like Tom Bombadil. I find the character generally annoying, and in my opinion, he is the Jar Jar Binks of Middle Earth.
1: That means I like him. (laughs)
0: Lackadaisical, sing song. (laughs) You probably would, yes. I I mean, I'm assuming you've read the books. Yeah, I mean, you'd probably get along with him great. He's sing-songy, lackadaisical, all about just having a fun time, nice relaxing. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how you feel about giant bushy beards, but he has one of those, so you might want to consider that. But anyway.
1: Uh, Him and I, his people talk to my people. I mean, he's famous, so...
0: And and also, he wears yellow boots, and I'm not sure how that works well, in the fashion sense. Well,
1: considering I walk out of the house and wearing unicorn stuff, I think we'll be fine. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, you're, you're golden. All you gotta do is get yeah, rid of that Goldberry exactly. chick, and you're fine.
1: Uh, see, that's where my other side comes out. I think one thing um, that sets people off about me is I come into a lot of things very jokingly, lackadaisical, trying to keep it fun and upbeat. But I also have a very dark side. <laughs> I mean, I, I, uh, I help run a haunted house. I like horror movies. I write horror fiction. Um, but and I think that's where, like, people know when they have crossed a line in my group is I kind of turn out, I get a little dark. That, that, that bright, shiny Hufflepuff turns into the very mean kind of, uh, I'm going to poison your soup because I feel like Hufflepuffs would poison you before they'd stab you. Um, but I I think that it becomes a bit of a, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find the right word, um, I think that kind of commands respect too. Um, Whereas when I have something to say, I'm not going to be toxic about it. It may be a little dark and heavy. It may be a a conversation that um, uh, like Pepe Le Pew. um, When that conversation started and ended very quickly, um, I was like, okay, guys, I'm go, I will kill all of this. I, I will end it. Um, I'll, I'll do another shutdown. Very mom-like. <laughs>
0: Actually, you tend to have the moderation style of that one really cool aunt that's all fun and everything up to a certain point. And then the authoritarian yeah, aspect um, comes up. It's out. like,
1: yeah, I will totally not tell your mom that you're staying up late. Uh, you went drinking and crashed your mom's car. I'm telling her you're in trouble. <laughs> like, um, mm-hmm. I, I really do, and that's the best way to put it. Like, I need, uh, I, I, I need to add that to my moniker, the, the, the good aunt. Um, but I, I really feel like I keep that. I think that's one of the reasons I keep the toxic fan out of the group, um, and. I, I don't know if you've ever noticed, like, maybe we've had two incidents in my group where, like, I've had to, like, come down with a hammer and and take care of business. But other than that, six months running, we've had zero issues-ish, really.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen too many big uh, yeah. blow-ups over that way. Um. Fair in mind, though, I don't uh, frequent as often as I should like to, but I, I've been a little busy as of late. Um, Tolkien Reading Day coming up, I was actually scanning uh, books and things of that nature. Had to give myself a refresher course on Middle English for the National mm-hmm. Day of Chivalry and all well, that. Well,
1: I, I really thought you were going to go so, into yeah. the, uh, um, the, the Baggins um, speech about liking people half as much as you should. <laughs>
0: And I'm going to consider a missed opportunity, but uh, the way my insomnia has been here lately, it's amazing I can even talk here anymore. It's been about a week since I've gotten more than two hours of sleep.
1: Well, hopefully you can get some sleep. Maybe a good conversation with me. Like, we don't get to talk enough because we're always busy. But, you know, maybe you're like, oh, my mental faculties are drained. I shall sleep now.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm actually thinking about just putting a... A, a circle on my desk, like right in front of me, and smacking it really hard with a rubber mallet and uh, seeing
1: if that works brain damage is a problem, so please don't do that
0: it, it actually could be beneficial <laughs> on my part. You don't know my family um
1: <laughs> but I mean <laughs> no I love my we all love our family until we don't um. Uh, well, I mean, let's let's talk family. Hold on, hold on. We we're gonna add some toxic family into this. Um, as I was saying earlier, fandom, if if done correctly, is a good family. It's a good solid structure in which we build our communication skills and how we treat each other. A lot of where. A lot of toxic fans and um, gatekeepers, where they come from are normally, um, I'm not going to say like their family, but the family unit that they tend to keep, um, whether it's by blood or by relationship, they're usually kind of a confrontational group. <laughs> um, I, I have several friends who I don't talk with as much because they, they are um, very aggressive. Um, they're kind of like, if we want to put it, they are the, the rabid sports fan, where if you don't like their sports team, how mm-hmm. dare you exist? You know, I'm, I'm a big Steelers fan. And in my house, my family, all of them were big Cowboys fans. So I'm the odd person out and I'm, everybody's like, go Cowboys," And I'm like, yay, Steelers. I'm not going to fight you on this. We have more rings. <laughs> you know, I would, I would throw facts. Um, but my family, I guess the communication skill that they taught me, um, was to not engage the troll. Um,
0: Yes. Um, I, I remember back on, uh, I believe it was the one ring.net. They actually had a special emoji, a cave troll holding a sign that says, yep. do not feed. And that, uh, I, I kind of wish I could get that on uh, Facebook just so I could, you know, load it on there in a few cases, you know, well, don't I feed the trolls. Probably
1: make up a new sign. Um, uh, I'm, uh, I'm always changing the banner of my Facebook group because I like for people to know that the things I'm about to fangirl about are coming out, like uh, the Winter Soldier's coming out soon, and I'm super excited about that. Um, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm.
0: There's a lot of spoilers uh, floating around for it. I've been trying to uh, stomp on those in the various groups I uh, moderate, um, I I'm, I generally don't care if I see spoilers and stuff like that, which is why I always get stuck with the job of watching for them. Because you know I have to read it to see if there's actually spoilers in it, and well, once yeah. you read it, you uh, get the spoilers. I, so I,
1: I not the uh, words. Um, <laughs> I not only you know have geeky vengeance. I also work for a company that um, does geeky things. So I know about some things that are going to happen months in advance of before the movie drops. Um, And I'm like sitting there and I'm like, I don't want anybody to have anything ruined. (laughs) I don't want, I don't want, Mm -hmm. and that's another thing in my group. I don't allow spoilers. I mean, leading up to it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, knowing about a character that that might be in the movie or or whatever.
0: Well, speculation, spoilers are Um, two different things.
1: But if you're coming in the day after and you're dropping a bunch of memes about WandaVision, and I will remove you from the group. I will remove you and block you. There are plenty of other groups who allow that kind of thing. Not in mine. We like all the geeky things, mm-hmm. so your your memes on what happened in last night's one division is not needed. Uh, somebody's gonna post a, a really good how to you know bake a pie with dry ice. Okay, thanks, bye.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <sighs> um, now. I think that uh, spoilers actually tie directly into the toxic fan environment. Um, my personal take on it, I'll bear in mind, I also am a firm believer that the book has been out for over fifty years and the movie's been out for over yeah, a year. It's the, not spoilers anymore. It's
1: your own anymore. fault you haven't taken um, the time to watch it. Uh, there's there's something also called personal accountability. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: But uh, the uh, idea of spoilers, I think, ties directly into fandom. And it's toxic sense because everybody wants to be the person that has the most information. Um, I I jokingly refer to things as being nerd clout. Um, And and I think that uh, a lot of toxic fans feel like they have to have the most nerd clout out there because to them it's competitive. Um, I don't know if you've noticed that, uh, I know it's not such a big thing in the geeky vengeance, but I've noticed it on many, many groups. Um, so
1: there's a group called consolation. Um, and I love that group. It's one of my favorite Mm -hmm. groups. Uh, they have thousands of people. They have great, um, talks. It's a little insane to, to kind of go through all that information that gets posted on there sometimes. Um, (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh yes, I I I'm collected with my posts on there because I don't want to be getting notifications for a month solid over one sentence yeah, I might have posted in response to somebody.
1: Insane, but um, I, I noticed that in a lot of in a lot of groups where um, you've got to be that first person to talk about you know uh, the Winter Soldier. You saw uh, you saw a sneak peek and. Um, like somehow or somehow you uh, were involved in the filming. Oh, this is what happened. I, that stuff is is not cool. You're you're not giving people time. But when Wonder Woman eighty four came out, and I love that. So anybody who listens to this, you can come fight me at Geeky Vengeance on Facebook. Um, <laughs> I love that movie, and when <laughs> it came out, I I enjoyed it too. I For enjoyed it. People, I think it. Uh, toxic fan let's talk some wonder woman 84 toxic fan that was horrible it was it was bad um as one of the few people who liked it and who saw what the movie was actually about and didn't focus on just the one thing um or or or, you know uh, where people got nitpicky i got in so many fights Mm -hmm. (laughs) Defending that movie and saying, hey, guys, this is really good. If you sit down and sift through it, there is a story here, much like, uh, you know, WandaVision, it's about loss. It was just told in a very poor way. But if you take the time to watch it, it was really good and not just focus on on why somebody did a bad thing well there was a reason to why somebody did a bad thing and why you have to realize that this i don't know i don't want to give away a spoiler um but i whatever it's been out for a while you know when uh chris pine's character comes back and he's a different man it needs to be said that She is human. She fell under a spell and she did a bad thing.
0: Well, and I'd like to state that in her defense, she probably never once in a million years actually thought that was really going to work.
1: Well, I mean, she was, she didn't know about the wish. And, um, and, Mm -hmm. and after she, it would be like, it's like when, it's it's very fresh but the whole Wanda situation with um, she had the power to bring him back and she did a bad thing to bring him back was it right? no was it right for her? at the time yes but she didn't know exactly what she was doing it's I yeah
0: well I I think that a lot of people tend to um, idealize their characters um, with superheroes in particular. Um, It's very much the American mythology. They think of them almost as being uh, deities in and of themselves. But here's the problem. If you're going to compare um, DC or Marvel or whatever uh, publishers, super characters, as being these uh, deified beings, You also have to remember that most of the other uh, religions in the world that have pantheons, the gods represented are not perfect. I mean, I'm gonna put it plain. Most of Greek mythology would not have happened if Zeus could have just kept his (laughs) one cloth on.
1: You're not wrong.
0: (laughs) I mean, and he turned into like really funky creatures to have his way with various women and that makes it even stranger, and I really don't want to go down the road and, with <laughs> let's details. Just say, wink, let's just wink, say, that
1: nudge, nudge, there was no. glitter.
0: <laughs> that's weird, but that's nothing compared to, say, oh, I don't know, the warfare surrounding Helen of Troy. I mean, I've met some very attractive women in my day, but I've never wanted to go to war. About to- <laughs> the humans were wrong. Exactly. The gods were wrong.
1: I'm everybody was right just now. wrong. Some women will go to war over a hot man. I, I, I've almost come to blow over some Henry Cavill. That's all I'm saying.
0: <laughs> well, all I can say on that one is I think this is uh, something I, I'm going to say, and I don't like making general statements regarding uh, gender roles or anything of that nature, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that men are always raised with the idea mm-hmm. of there's another, many fish in the sea, Whereas women are raised with the, you got to fight for what's and yours it's mentality. It's very
1: true. And I think that also comes into toxic fandom. <laughs> we're just going to nail it all um, by segue. Gender
0: role. <laughs> it's all. Yes. But gender role and race relations are both very big subjects in toxic fandom. Um, I actually have an upcoming episode, which I want to talk to you about uh, after we're done with this uh, session but I have an upcoming episode regarding uh, women's representation in fandom and dealing oh, with absolutely. fandoms. <laughs> um, that's a big deal. Um, I uh, remember, Oh, this has probably been over a year ago now. It was well pre COVID. Um, I was invited yeah, to BlurCon. Uh, are you familiar with Blurred Con? Well, I was invited to Blurred Con now and, and the respects to the person that uh, invited me, um, it needs to be stated, my favorite Green Lantern is Jon Stewart. Um, my probably third favorite Marvel character of all time is Black Panther. And I'm actually a very big proponent of Miles Morales, even predating yes. the uh, End of the Spider Verse movie. So if you're following all of those characters on my personal Facebook, you're seeing this, these posts about this. You could, since I never actually use my own picture on my uh, profile, you could easily assume that I'm a prime candidate for BlurredCon, yep. which for those who don't know, that's Black Nerd Convention. Um, and it wasn't the invite that I thought was comical, it was the fact that he kept insisting that I needed to cosplay as my favorite character. I'm a middle-aged overweight, white guy, I cannot pull off a Jon Stewart portrayal. Not without some very, very no-no methods.
1: And and that's... uh, Let's talk about some gatekeeping. Um, I am a white woman. um, And I identify as um, Mm -hmm. hetero. Um, But one thing that we need to realize is that we can cosplay as our favorite characters of color as long as we are not doing blackface or brownface um, or yellowface mm-hmm. or um, any other you know weird portrayal of of their race. Um, just as like mm-hmm. when um, I have a friend who does a beautiful um, rogue, she is a dark complected beautiful woman and the only thing she ever will ever have to wear is a wig uh she doesn't need to powder herself she doesn't need to do any of that and um i think that's something that's kind of started being adopted within the last few years is cosplay as your favorite character just don't insult them by also trying to mimic their race
0: Well, the only problem I run into with uh, John Stewart as a Green Lantern is if you don't look identical to whichever character you're trying to portray, you're just another generic that's Green Lantern.
1: That's true. That, that so, is kind of true. <laughs> th-
0: that's a that, Lantern-specific yeah. problem, though. That, To be fair, that's a Lantern-specific problem. I mean, I could wear a Miles Morales costume, although me and Spandex <laughs> don't very get along few well. few of us
1: the Spandex um, get along with. <laughs>
0: Um, That's actually why I did the Kilted Lantern the first time, because (laughs) me and tights ain't even going to be a thing. Um, But um, I did at one time, uh, I met, uh, I think he's one of the hosts for, I think it's Longbox Heroes um, podcast. I met him and the first things we said to each other, he goes, a Green Lantern and a kilt. And I said, a middle-aged white power man. (laughs) he goes oh you recognize the 70s do huh and I said yeah I'm glad you left off the wig um but you know that was our first conversation together and it was a fun time and I appreciated the fact that he was dressing as a character that he admired personally I like Luke Cage um the early Power Man stuff was really just not great but I like the character of Luke Cage at least to how he's evolved but uh I, I think that with uh Toxic fans the first thing they're going to do in any circumstance is nitpick the costume and if they can't find a problem with the costume they're going to go for the next most obvious difference and if that's race or gender that's going to be what they focus on
1: well uh so my favorite x-men is storm i think she has a wonderful Mm -hmm. um backstory it's rich um not only just her backstory, her attitude, she is take no prisoners. She is, she is a goddess. Um, I have a friend who Mm -hmm. I have two friends. Uh, they are girlfriends. They, they live together. One is black. One is white. Um, and they cosplay storm together. Um, so like they're different iterations. Um, I think, uh, Cassidy does a, uh, um, the more modern Storm, whereas Alina does the classic Storm with the white wig, um, you know, Halle Berry. Um, so uh-huh. when uh Cassidy gets called out for cosplaying Storm as a white woman, she's like, Okay, thank you, but this is my favorite character. Um, please allow me to enjoy this character. Um, and, uh, she will normally run up to them and be like, guys, let's take a selfie together. Click takes a selfie and runs away <laughs> because how you often combat mm-hmm. hate is through humor. And you, you really need to, um, if you can get somebody to laugh, you can often disarm the situation. You can very much be like, oh you're over nitpicking me well i may make fun of myself or i may um you know try and just have a good time with it and i i think that Mm. if we do more of that and um start disarming the the toxic fans we can have a better existence together (laughs) I feel like I'm about to, uh, you know, run for office. <laughs> we can do this together.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, really, as it pertains to being geeks, I think that there needs to be some sense of unity in the matter. Um, I remember growing up as a geek. Um, I, I can honestly say that I've been a lifelonger, I've never really reached outside of anything particularly nerdy ever um i remember being made fun of for you know about 90 percent of the stuff i enjoy doing most of my life and now that we're actually hitting our stride i think that there needs to be some sense of maintained community
1: um i think that as it becomes a little more mainstream we um have more conversations about it. Um, it'll never be to the uh, to the degree that I think it could be. Um, I mean, it's like with anything, politics, sports, religion, we're always going to disagree on something. But I think the geek community, it, us being outcasts most of the time, we have very much had to adapt and communicate together. So...
0: And, well, that's something I was uh, talking to a friend of mine. I'm not going to mention his name because he doesn't know I'm mentioning him at all. Um, And and I want to be fair to him. Uh, um, He was talking about uh, the idea of adversity breeding um, community. Um, He's bisexual, and um, he was talking about how when he tries to communicate with other heterosexual men, there's just no real bond. Now, when he talks with his, uh, members of the LGBT community on the whole, he doesn't, uh, have the level of standoffishness that he has when talking with straight friends. And it's more a matter of the community. Um, bre- you know, the difficulty you have in life tends to breed you into a community. Uh, many religious groups throughout, uh, history have dealt with that aspect. Um, The reason why so many religions are so tightly knit is because at one point in time or another throughout history, there was some adversity to their religious preferences and practices. And so they grew closer together as a community. And that's the thing. And while it's the same with pretty much any ideology, philosophy, um, sexual orientation, what have you, if you are something other than the norm, you will eventually be drawn to others who fit within the same parameters as yourself. And that's what really builds a community. Um, All of my friends are geeks. I could go on to my Facebook. I can pull up uh, pictures of my friends in high school and I. And the first picture that will come up if I dig into that album will be all of us dressed in Star Wars costumes. For no particular reason. This is before cosplay really took off and made a big splash and all that. Back when it was just called costuming yep <laughs> i mean that should tell you something there but community built up around the fact that you know what nobody liked us they all thought we were weird but we just owned the weird and became our own little group and i think now that geekdom is becoming more mainstream um more people are expressing their uh, interest and enjoyment in things um with COVID 19 specifically i think um People having time to engage in their actual interests has, if anything, led to an expansion of geek culture into people that were previously identifying as normies, if I want to use the expression. They're starting to understand where us geeks come from in the sense that we're engaging in our interests. Now, unfortunately, there's still always going to be those people out there that say, you read a comic book, you're a nerd, you're weird, get away, you're not even (laughs) mature enough to be in this area.
1: It's always going to happen. They always exist. And uh, I will always be that type of person to look at them and go, but my superhero has a nice set of glutes. I don't know like I I would say something weird it
0: would be because sports fandom is considered perfectly acceptable superhero fandom is still kind of looked down as other and and that's that uh, societal gatekeeping that has always existed for geeks and that's why it irritates me so much when I see gatekeepers within the various fandoms it's like now you're old enough you've probably dealt with this why are you doing this to others?
1: I, and I think most of it is uh, sometimes we don't realize we're doing it. Um, when I first got into fandom, I was really into D&D. I was a female who was into D&D. And it was a, it was a boys club. Um, there was maybe one other girl in my school that played. And she didn't play because, well, she didn't have time. Um, so... I would never get invited to other groups. Um, I would never get invited to other places. Mm-hmm. Well, because it was a woman and a girl at the time, I was very young. Um, I, I'll <laughs> uh, but I mean, I don't ever want anybody to feel like they can't go play a video game or they can't, you know, go and read a book because they they it's being gatekept let's not do that to each other it's for all of us i mean we need to learn how i mean we have a lot of people in our group who have never played um dungeons and dragons and i'm like well i'll teach you and people are like oh that's that's a lot of people to teach at one time i'm like well how about I take this side of the room and you take that side of the room and we can teach them together and then we can all play D&D. Let's be happy. Let's do it. I I love my group. I love adminning my group. I do not envy um, the other groups whatsoever. <laughs> I'm very happy with mine. Um, yeah. And I hope that going forward, we don't have... I, you know these toxic fandom issues um i really hope that i keep a place where everybody can come in and feel welcomed and grab their comfy blankets and pjs and we sit around and have good conversation um yeah
0: okay. um i i do have one question to kind of round out the discussion because I think we've only actually (laughs) been properly recording now for about an hour and 15. Yes. Um, Now there may be some edits for digression, but anyhow, I I do have a uh, question for you. Um, If you could give any one piece of advice on how to, not just avoid other toxic fans, but how to avoid becoming Ooh. toxic yourself, um, what would so it be? So, we're going to
1: address the first part of that, um, how to avoid toxic... Uh, how to not become a toxic fan. Um, be willing to listen to everybody um, and watch how you speak to people. Um, treat people like their information is important and golden. Um, you want to create an atmosphere where people can talk to you. Um, I hate to bring him up because, um, he's a, he's a very toxic person, but, um, Stephen Crowder has this segment, uh, has one of, uh, one of the segments on his show is called Change My Mind. Um, and one of the, the key things that I learned from watching that um, was he always tries to be respectful sometimes. Um, but he gives people the space to speak their mind. Um, and he tries to have space to speak his mind as well. Um, and It's communication and camaraderie Even if you're disagreeing on a subject, learning how to talk about a subject you disagree on definitely can keep you from becoming a toxic fan. Um, Then that kind of ties into how to avoid toxic Mm -hmm. fans is giving people a space and letting them talk about what they want to talk about and learning to disengage from those people when they become toxic fans. I mean, look for certain words. Like, um, if if somebody disagrees with you, uh, words that you may want to look for, um, idiot, dumb, uh, stupid, um, uh, there's an R word I'm not gonna say, uh, there, there's a lot of mm-hmm. words that you will look for, and as soon as I can find that book, I will, I will uh, send you uh, uh, the title. Um, but, but learn how to communicate with people, and um, learn to kind of read the room or read a mood. Um, it'll keep you from getting into situations that you don't want to be
0: in <laughs> I guess that's the best way to put it yes um yeah my, my advice for everybody is um there's a piece of biblical advice that says do not cast your pearls before swine um now what that's basically talking about here and how it pertains to fandom is know the group familiarize yourself with it um don't be afraid to leave the group if necessary because you know there comes a point in time where you realize that you're just not in a group that's going to be any fun for you. Um, And when you're doing that, what you're looking for is seeing if there is any way or shape or form that you're going to have your views either matched or at least respected. Because there's some groups out there that uh, – if you say the wrong thing, you're just going to get annihilated. I, I've known yeah. some star Wars groups out there and I'm not going to list them all for anything like that. But if you are uh, pro rebellion, you're just going to get shredded up one side and down the other. And I've seen some there the other way around. And that's why it's important to, you know, poke around when you're looking for groups, um, you know, join them, poke around a little bit and then make up your mind. But also, when you do get engaged in a hostile manner, don't be afraid yeah, to just yeah, not reply. Feed <laughs> don't feed the trolls.
1: Uh, yeah, don't feed the trolls. Uh, I guess that's that's the tie-in to everything. Don't feed the trolls. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm.
0: All right, uh, Ori, this has been a very uh, nice uh, yes, time chatting time with you. About, it's been a very long uh, time. Yeah, mm-hmm. was, so we're talking all the way back in early no, October. Actually, there,
1: it was uh, later October because uh, we had to, um, and uh, the hurricane. Oh,
0: that's right, because of scheduling issues, we yeah, so, had to. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was it, it, was, it was so later much later October
0: though. for your interview. Lost. Yeah.
1: Um, but if anybody wants to uh, come join my group, it is called Geeky Vengeance. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. We also have geekyvengeance.com, which will be launching at the end of um, March. Oh gosh, it's, it's almost time. Um, <laughs> where you can find articles about current things that are happening from a small geeky perspective. We also have a TikTok, an Instagram, a Twitter um i don't even know if tumblr is still a thing uh but we have all kinds of ways that you could find us but the easiest way is definitely on our facebook page
0: all right and uh if you can uh shoot me a link to the group uh irl um i'll be more than happy to post that in with the uh, show notes
1: i am the admin and moderator and the geeky overlord of All of the things.
0: (laughs) Alright, that was a really fun time. Thank you again, Ori, for agreeing to be on the show. I look forward to doing future episodes with you. Now... This uh, next segment, of course, is our Character Spotlight. It's been a while since we've done one, and I'm really looking forward to uh, sharing this one with you. Today's uh, Character Spotlight is actually about the shadow. Who knows the evil that lurks within the hearts of men? The shadow knows. Insert uh, ominous laughter and a musical piece by Camille Saison. Um... The Shadow is a very interesting character in that he actually is by some considered to be the first true superhero um, predating Superman by a decent amount Um, his first appearance was actually in a radio show as a narrator Um, let's see here if I can pull up my notes yes um, the pulp uh, novel's Uh, came later, and his very first appearance was in the Detective Story Hour, that's the Detective Story Hour, July 31st, 1930, Um, he was the narrator to that, and it was designed to push that particular company's uh, magazine, uh, which was the, let's see if I can pull that up too. Detective Story Magazine. Okay, yes, that's what I thought it was, but I wanted to double-check my notes. But, uh, it was designed to push that. So they did a radio show, and the narrator was the shadow. And, well, the character's popularity as even just a narrator was enough, so... That, uh, the detective magazine was starting to be asked for the newsstands as... That shadow detective magazine. And, well... So they went about and started work on it. And in uh, 1931, Walter B. Gibson developed the character, and it was first published in April 1931 as The Living Shadow. Um, The alter egos for this particular character, um, there's a lot, actually. So many so that... uh, In later adaptations of The Shadow, he's not even sure who he really is anymore. And in some cases, likes being called simply Master by those that uh, aid him in his uh, quests. Um, But the primary alter egos are Kent Allard, if we're talking about the comic books, and Lamont Cranston, if we're talking about uh, radio shows, movies, television, what have you. Um, However, he's also been known as Henry Arnaud, Isaac Twombly, Fritz the Janitor. And if we're talking about the uh, Batman Shadow crossover comics that were put out not terribly long ago, which are fun read, he's actually the man that trained Batman. Yes. All of the major players that uh, worked with getting Batman where he is, were actually the Shadow trying to create a replacement for himself. There's a thought for you. I find it to be particularly interesting, though, because he is one of the key influences in the Batman character development. Um, If you ever get a chance to read the uh, Doc Savage um, Shadow crossovers, uh, which both are pulp-era heroes, you get the true um, protoform for who the characters would someday inspire. Um, Doc Savage ended up being very similar to uh, Superman, of all people. And then we have the shadow, which fits the uh, archetype that became Batman. And it's just really interesting. Uh, I'm not even a huge Batman fan, but there's just something about the shadow that I really love. Uh, I don't hate Batman, I just think he's overdone. Um, And the shadow also has the benefit of being able to be cosplayed, even with COVID, because of the scarf covering his mouth. Um, You have to tug it up over your nose a little bit, though, but I enjoy that idea because of the very notion of being able to have a beard and have it covered and not have to worry about that when doing the character. But the uh, visual look for that uh, particular character dates to those uh, comics that were uh, put out in, uh, the 30s. Um, most commonly known for wearing a long black overcoat with a scarf up around his mouth and nose with the long red tails, uh, extending out. His collar flipped up and a cape over top of the overcoat, which seems a bit redundant to me, but, you know, he's the shadow. And who's gonna question it because that look is iconic. Um, and that cape actually allows him to hide a couple of, uh, 9 millimeters underneath his uh, coat. Um, I believe he actually carries Colt 1911s. I could be wrong on that one. If someone wants to correct me, you can feel free. I will more than happily listen. Um, and the other big thing that uh, stands out in terms of his look is his slightly oversized fedora very common for the period. It was like the Homburg style hats but with a much wider brim. Kind of like a black Indiana Jones fedora. And you get all that put together and you get a quintessential 1930s character. I mean no other era could even come close to having that particular style. Um, As a character, he tended to hang around the New York area, but he moved around a lot, a lot. And ended up basically going everywhere from like Soviet Russia to oh, just all over the place. Um, China, Tibet. You name it, he's probably been there because the shadow travels. His key uh, powers are something that's truly interesting as a combination. He can read men's thoughts, modify men's thoughts, and even cloud their minds. The modification of his thought, of their thoughts is something that came later on, but early on it was simply a matter of him being a master of disguise and a master detective. In the radio show where he's the key character, that's where the idea of his ability to cloud men's minds comes in. You see, in the comics... He can kind of do it, but it's not a full superpower kind of thing. At least not early on. And he never became completely invisible. Whereas in the movies, the TV shows, the various other mediums, he can go completely invisible. And his ability to cloud men's minds is what allows him to do that. Now, the other thing of it is... Is... This, um... Ability allows him to do some really creative things when dealing with uh, the various characters he has to interact with. Um, There's actually one episode of the uh, radio show where he gaslights a character into thinking he's invisible just so he walks out in front of a bunch of cops. He is quite the jerk. Um, That's part of what I enjoy about him. He's not quite uh, beat him until they're... uh, eaten out of a straw all the time jerk but he, he gets there you know pretty quick on the jerk scale um now my introduction to the character actually came from the 1990s movie starring Alec Baldwin um fun story my uh stepdad saw the uh advertisement for the movie then my biological dad saw the advertisement for the movie and they were both really just blown away and I'm sitting there thinking well, if these two agree on this, then it's probably something really cool. And that logic has not proven me wrong on that, because he is a cool character that I really suggest everybody look into a little bit. Um, even the Shadow's MO of setting up his organization in his ring is almost a little bit uh, similar to the Sherlock uh, using street people to give him information. You see, once the Shadow helps you, he saves your life, you owe him a debt. He gives you your little ring, and he sometimes uses you to... basically do a service for him. But you're never really free of that service. It's almost maniacal the way that he uh, calls for it, too. Um, His love interest, Margot Lane, has been a staple throughout the comics and radio show and in the movie, and there's a great uh, trade out there right now called The Death of Margot Lane, which is stellar writing, I loved it, and I highly recommend you look that up. Um, So if you're looking for a character that doesn't get a lot of light, you don't get much better than a character named The Shadow. This uh, relic that managed to make it out of the uh, pulp era and into modern culture is truly phenomenal. It even goes into the point where the idiom, who knows the evil lurks within the hearts of men, still gets used today. And not just by nerds like me. Um, No, you can actually find it being used by semi-normal people, too. And I highly recommend you look up this character, do some reading... If you're interested in the radio shows, like if you're a podcast listener like I am, the radio shows are kind of nice every now and then, you can actually listen to them, complete with their original ads for uh, Blue Coal, you can actually listen to them on Spotify, and they're available on uh, CD, DVD, I'm pretty sure there's downloadable versions out there, and it's a really good time, because some of those stories are actually quite interesting, especially when you put it in the context of their era. So, I recommend you uh, look him up. So I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna let you go by simply saying, keep your ring charged, your pleats in the back, and stay geeky. This episode of the Kilted Lantern podcast was made possible using the software on anchor.fm and the music included in it is from their free music library. Any intellectual properties referenced in this episode are copyright to their respective creators and or copyright holders and are used without permission. Any views mentioned in this are the views of those that brought them forth and do not represent the views of any connected franchises or intellectual properties associated with them or their holders. This is your host again reminding you to keep your ring charged, your pleats in the back, and stay geeky.